as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, as we continue our study together of this amazing man, uh, Abraham. Uh, Abram is his name so far that we find uh, in the Bible. It's amazing because what we see here in the life of Abram, in many ways, he's like the epicenter, the center of God's blessing. And the way that God is going to deal with Abram uh, is really going to affect the way he deals with us. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that, that he's our father, Father Abraham, and that the blessings that God poured into his life, and whoa, did God bless this guy. I mean, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the nations through him. Uh, our ours as well, by God's grace through faith. And we're going to see these blessings that they're going to make their way all the way through and find their realization in God's son, Jesus. And, and just how uh, those blessings, those promises, listen, they could be yours. And they could be mine by God's grace. So as we study this, at times it's going to feel a little ancient. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at chapter 15 today. And I got to tell you, one of the most incredible chapters of all of Scripture. In this passage alone, we're going to find uh, almost the entire Bible story of how God rescues, how God redeems, how God keeps his promises through this one little chapter. But I got to warn you, it's going to seem a little odd. And when I read through Scripture, it's going to seem like, what in the world is going on here? Have you ever done that when you read Scripture? Have you ever scratched your head and said, hmm, that's interesting. But if we ask God's spirit to come and to be teacher, it will open our eyes to see marvelous truths that weren't just for them, but they're for us today. So good news, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever got you here, God wants to speak to you today and he wants to do it through his amazing word. Promises, promises. Uh, we've all made promises. Uh, we've all been given promises. We've, let's be honest, we've all broken promises. I mean, promises seem really easy to make. Uh, promises sadly seem really easy to break. Uh, how can we trust certain promises? Even this week, uh, I was with a friend and we were uh, enjoying some wings together, chatting about life. And I don't know how we got on this subject, but he mentioned to me that somebody that he had helped in years past promised him a boat. He's like, man, I, this guy came to me and says, hey, thank you so much for helping me. I don't have any children. I don't have any heirs. So when I die, I want to give you my boat. And we both kind of laughed saying, well, good luck with that one. You know, uh, we'll see if you're ever going to be captain. We'll ever get this boat or not. Uh, because why? We're kind of we're kind of tainted. We're kind of saying, well, let's see if this comes to fruition. Because even some of the promises our parents made didn't come true. Even some of the things that those we trusted, maybe because of their own ability and maybe because of things outside of their ability. But aren't you and aren't, aren't we a people that are a little leery of promises? How can we really trust somebody? Is it when they say, hey, I crossed my heart and I hope to die? Okay, now I'll believe it. Oh, you crossed your heart. Oh, you hope to die. Is it, is it when uh, you pinky swear? Well, I, I pinky swear. I mean, I, this time I'm really going to keep it. Or are promises valid when you put your hand in the Bible and say, I swear on the Bible that I will keep my promises? Well, we know that promises will have a little more security in understanding them and believing them when they become legally binding. Okay, great. You want to give me a boat? Am I in your will? You put that boat in the will. I'm trusting you. That's awesome. 
Once there's a legal binding to a promise, uh, certainly we are a little bit more confident that that will come to fruition. What about God's promises? Now listen, it's important for all of us. What about God's promises? What are the things that God has promised his children? How can we trust them? Well, I'm a preacher. I'm going to stand up and tell you we trust them because God gave them to you, right? Scripture says that God cannot lie. So if that's the reality, we have good news. But let's be honest. Let's really be honest with each other here. Is there a gap in your life between your reality and God's promises? Are you bobbing up and down somewhere in the reality of life, sometimes wondering, God, you promised so much, and sometimes it seems like you're delivering so little? I've been there. We certainly have Abraham. I mean, Abraham's been there. I mean, listen, God has promised this guy that he would become a great nation. What does it take to have a great nation? People and land. Guess what? He's got neither. (laughs) It says that you're going to be a blessing to all nations, that every family in the world is going to receive blessing from you, and yet he's a nomad walking around with a wife, Sarai, who's barren. The gap between God's promises and his reality was oceans apart. So how do we trust God? Well, this morning, this is what we're going to see. Listen, put your seatbelt on. It's an incredible passage. This morning, we're going to see three things. We're actually going to, we're going to hear God's promises. We're going to be reminded that this God is a promise-making God, and God's promises are her- Herculean in size. God's promises aren't little promises. He promises things like, right for this, life and life abundantly, life eternally, forgiveness. He promises a, a, a place where we could dwell together and one day have no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. His promises are huge. How can we trust him? This morning, we're, gonna, we're not only going to hear God's promises, we're going to see in an incredible passage of scripture of how God himself, how God himself legally binds himself to his promises. So that we have more than God's word, we have more than God's oath, we have God who's going to enter into a legal commitment to make sure he uh, uh, will come through on his promises. Three things we're going to see as we look at this. We're going to see how God brings us into his promises. God always does it throughout scripture. It's always this way. God calls those he's going to make promises to, his children. He calls us out of our current situation, our current reality, our current identity, our current security. He calls us out of where we were and he calls us in to where he is in a relationship with him. And then once we get that, we're gonna see that his promises and his promises, whoa, he's gonna promise two big things in this passage. He's gonna promise a seed that will come that will give life and make all things new. And he's gonna promise a land, a land for his people to dwell in. And we're gonna see what that that promise of that seed, how that brings us hope. And how that land is, is uh, truly the promised land. But then we're also going to see this morning how God puts his life on the line to keep his promises. He binds himself to us in an amazing, amazing way. So let's get to the story. It's an incredible story. It's uh, God's inerrant holy word. It will not lead us astray. It may feel a little bit unfamiliar and a little bit odd at first. But let's trust God's Holy Spirit to come and come and bring light to his word for us this morning. We're going to read Genesis 15 uh, verses 1 through 20, the entire chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, clearly there's a connection to what happened in chapter 14. We'll discuss that in just a moment. 
But there's a linkage here with last week, if you can start thinking of what happened last week. So in this vision, the word of the Lord comes to him and he says to him, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, no seed, no child. And a member of my household will be my heir. He's basically saying, I don't have a son to pass any blessings on to. A distant relative is going to get what I have. How can this be true? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, look to heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring, your seed, your children, your heirs be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. Cut them in half and laid each half against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down in the carcasses, Adam drove them away. As the sun was coming down, a deep sleep fell over Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and that they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they served. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Let's hit pause for a second. Remember I said a few weeks ago, who is the original hearing and reading audience? They're the ones who were there, who just come out of slavery. They could look back and say, it's true. We were there for 400 years. We've come out with great possessions. God has done great things for us. He says in verse 15, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And then shall come, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoldering, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces of the cut up animal. And that the day, and that day, the Lord made a covenant, cut a covenant with Abram, saying, "To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites." Anybody confused? Let's pray. Father God, contained in what feels like ancient words in a really unusual ceremony is some of the most beautiful pictures of grace 
and love that we will ever see. But God, we can't see them and we can't understand this without you. So God, we ask that you would come and that you'd be pleased to speak through a broken vessel like me. And that God, because this is so important, that God, that we would hear your words. You would give us the ears to hear your voice and the minds to understand your word. That God, you'd be with us, that each heart would embrace your truth. And if there's a heart here that's just too hard to embrace it because of sin or or because of unbelief, that that even now, even today, you do that, that only you could do, that heart transplant, and give each one of us a heart of faith that beats for you. That God, you'd be with us in such an amazingly tangible way that when we leave here, we would see your glory. We would know that you keep your promises and that we would be able to walk in faith knowing that we're loved and we're yours and we're free. Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion, especially in a passage like this, would it quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of your son, that promised seed, Jesus, that you would use those words to make us more like him. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen. The first thing you can see in this passage in verse 15 is that Moses is going to want to make a clear link to what happened in the previous chapter, in chapter 14. And if you were here last week, you remember that, that last week, Abram was going to be tested by, by the, the powers outside of his control. That there was going to be a war that takes place in the Holy Land. And there will be a, a, this war will actually affect one of his family members, Lot. And that Lot will be captured as the booty of a victorious king. And word comes to Abram. And word comes to Abram, and he gathers like 318 guys. And they're going to go, and they're going to fight the most powerful kings of his time in that area. And But God is with him, and God is going to give him an amazing victory. And, and because of that victory, uh, he's going to come back, and God's going to have this incredible exchange with him and just remind him that all of his blessings that he has comes from God. And we're going to, not only that, that God's going to be his identity. But what does God say? Now, because of these things, he says this, first thing, fear not. Do you know the greatest command in the Bible is that, fear not? Do you know that we have a propensity to live our lives in fear? Fear that is God really for us? Is God really with us? Can we really trust his promises? Fear not. Why do you think it'd be an important way to start the conversation with Abram? He just was at war. He went from a nomad that maybe no one really paid attention to, to somebody who's a warrior. He just went and stung the kings around him. Would you sleep with one eye open? Would you be wondering, where are they going to come? How about you? Do you sleep with one eye open? What are you fearful of? What are you fearful of coming back and stinging you? So here's the great God, the great God who controls all things, who wants to start by saying, I want you to know, don't fear. Don't fear because you're mine. Don't fear because everything is in my hand and I control all things. Fear not. But he's going to do more than that. He goes, Abram, I am your shield. Remember that battle? You knew it. You, you, gave, you received blessings and gave me blessings. You know that that victory didn't come from you. That I'm going to be the one who protects you. I'm going to be the one who's always with you. I'm going to be your shield. Do you know that? Do you know that God is the one who says that I'm going to be the one who looks after you? I'm Emmanuel, God with you, God with us. I'm the one who holds all things together. And I'll be your shield. 
Here's the great news. Wherever you are, whatever happens, there's a God who sits on his throne and he truly is in control of all things. And everything that happens to us passes through his son's nail-pierced hands. Nothing in this world can ever touch us that doesn't come through him. He will be our shield. He will be our defender. He will always be with us. And more than just that, he will be our great reward. If you remember the story in last week in chapter 14, Abram was offered the spoils of victory. He was offered, take, take all the spoils. And he says, I'm not going to touch one thing. Not one sandal strap am I going to touch. Why? Because I'm going to be known as my gods. I'm going to look to my God and his identity alone. And my reward, by God's grace, he could say, and God tells us, is a relationship with him. The reward that God offers us is that he will be a good father that provides for us. He will give us his name. He will give us his identity. He will be not just our reward, Rufus, our great reward. Do you know him? Do you know the great reward of knowing a God who's forgiven your sins? Do you know the great reward of a God who comes and makes a home inside of you through the Holy Spirit? Do you know the great reward of a God who says, I've gone to make a place for you? Do you know that great reward? I gotta tell you, Abram is wondering about this God. What I love about this is a man of faith and a man of question. Is that not you and me? He both had faith in God and questions in what in the world God was doing. He's going to ask God. God's going to promise again two things. A seed that's coming. He's promising a man who's barren, whose body's withering. I'm promising you a seed. And I'm promising you a land. He's promising a man who's a nomad that he's going to have a land. And he's like, really? God how can this be? How can your promises be true? And we see a pattern in his life that's the same as ours. Again, uh, the first thing is this, that God calls us out, out from where we are, and he calls us in to where his promises are. That's been the pattern throughout redemptive history. It says it even again in this chapter, Abram, I called you out of the Ur of Chaldeans. It says it earlier in chapter 12. I called you out so I could call you in to blessings. Throughout scripture, he tells us over and over and over again, I called you out of Egypt. I called you out of slavery. I called you out of darkness. I called you out of enslavement. I called you out of being a child of wrath. And I'm calling you to myself. First point is this, has God called you out? He called you out of this world and is that world no longer your identity, no longer your security, no longer your hope and no longer your joy. The only way you'll ever know God, the only way you'll ever know God's promises is to be called out of that reality apart from Christ and called into an amazing, gracious relationship with him. Let's just spend another thought on this. Do you know what he calls us out of? Scripture says that by, by nature, we're children of wrath. He calls us out of that. He calls us in to be children of the king. Scripture says by by nature, we're we're children of darkness. We, We don't understand. He calls us out of that and he calls us into his marvelous light. And in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, we become the light of the world. Has God called you out? Because every time he calls you out, it's gracious of him. But he'll never call you out without calling you in. And when he calls you in, he wants to put his arm around you and call you in to his amazing blessings. God calls us into a relationship with him. The way that God calls us into relationship with him through scripture is what we call a covenant. God makes the agreement. He's the one who's in control. 
God's the one who sets the parameters of how we're going to be in a relationship with him. But it's through that covenant relationship that God makes with us that we find his promises. What are those promises? Second thing, God promises him, Abram and us, a seed of hope and a land of promise. Now, we really have to look at this throughout Scripture and realize the seed, the offspring that that God is promising Abram is an amazing seed. That this seed is going to be a blessing to every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world. That this seed that will come is the one who will come to give life. Listen to this. The seed will come to give life everything that is broken, everything that is dying, everything that has death. God's promise is that he's going to send one to make all things right. Not just a seed, but a land. God says, I'm going to, it's been my, always been my plan to fill the earth with my glory. It's always been my plan to, to give my people this earth, to inherit it, and to make this place a place inhabitable of God and man, a place flowing of milk and honey. And God calls us out and wants to bless us with that. And by the way, do you know what we're called, by the way? In the Greek, the church. You know what the church is? The Greek word is ekklesia. You learn a new word. Two, it's a compound word. Ek means out. And ekklesia is being called. God says, I'm calling you out. To call you in. To give you blessings. To make you mine. To give you a seed of pro- a hope that ultimately will be led to Jesus in a land of promise. Now, put yourself in Abram's shoes. Let's talk about Abram for a minute. God's going to come back to him. He's already promised him. He's going to come back to him. He's going to see Abram being faithful. He says, now, Abram, I'm going to give you the seed. I want you to know that. And I'm, I'm going to give you this land. Now, put yourself in his sandals. He's looking around at his wife saying, man, she's getting old. I'm getting old. We got no kids. And I got no land. So how in the world are you going to do this? And I love it because Abram, to both the promises, Abram asked questions. Both of them in faith. Do you know that God's big enough for your questions? And God says to him, goes, all right, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I promise you to be a great nation. To be a great nation, what do you need? People and land. He's got neither. <laughs> I promise you a great name. What do you need to have a great name, a heritage? He's got none. And so all these promises, listen, don't you feel that way? I mean, the distance between God's promises, the gap between his promises and the reality was huge. So what in the world, God? And here Abram's saying, God, how can this be? Eliezer from Damascus, he's the one who's getting my stuff. And you're promising me the land. How do I know this is true? Because I don't have anything here. And God says to him, come on, field trip time. Let's go outside. And God takes Abram outside in the promised land. And again, this is before lights and this is before, you know, fog and, and pollution. Should I say, say, say fog or the, the pollution? And he says, look up. I want you to see the stars. Have you ever seen stars when you're out in the middle of nowhere? It's one of the things I love about going to my folks' cottage in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. One of my favorite things on a clearer night is to go out and just to get a, uh, lay down a blanket and look up at the stars. I mean, it's amazing. Have you ever seen the Milky Way? I mean, you can really see it and you can see like probably on a good night, 12 shooting stars. Do you know you could see satellites? Anybody ever seen satellites? On a clear enough night, you can see them. I'm assuming that Abram didn't see satellites. But listen, God took an old man who had a barren wife out into an open field and he asked him in the middle of nowhere to look up and see stars. And what do you think he saw? I bet his breath went away. Oh my goodness. And here's what he says to him. He says, Abram, 
I'm going to give you more descendants than are up there. I mean, if you could count those, you could count ultimately your descendants. He's already told them, you're going to have more descendants in the dust of the earth. Who is he? Where is he? Put yourself in his sandals. This is a man, an old man, with an old wife, with no kids and no land. And guess what he does? He believes. He believes. He believes. He believes. Listen, not just anything. What do you specifically believe in? You've got to get this. He believed that God would provide a promised son, a promised seed. And because of this, it says in the scripture, because of his belief, because of not what he did, but because of God's grace and what he believed in, you ready for this? It was credited to him. It was counted to him as righteousness. That God is in relationship with him and would say, this is my beloved son. This is one who is righteous in my sight. This is one who I embrace, not because of what he did, but because of what he believed. And what did he believe? He promised that God would graciously provide a son to come to make all things right. You see, Abram was saved the same way I am, the same way you are. It's a belief that God's promises are for real, that the son will come, a seed will come to make all things right. And hope against hope, he looked to the stars and said, God will do it. We have the privilege of being on this side of the cross. We have the privilege of, of looking back and seeing the promises come to fruition. We have the privilege of looking back and seeing that, man, that seed did come and that came through a virgin named Mary, and that, that seed did come, and he did live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we deserve. That seed did come, and because of him, we can have life and life abundantly. But listen, the point is this. Abram was saved by God's grace through faith and a son to come. We are saved by God's grace through faith and a son who has come. This is one story, my brothers and sisters. This is one story of how God reconciles himself to his people all by his grace, all through the work of his son, all experienced through faith. It's amazing. You know, uh, Paul in the New Testament is going to make this clear to us in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians 3. It's kind of a commentary of what has actually taken place here. But let me read a little bit for you out of Romans 4. The entire chapter really explains this. But Romans 4, I'm going to read 2 and 3 and then 20 to 25. And this will show us the New New Testament context of what is happening. Hear God's word. For if Abraham was justified by works, the things he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what the scripture says Abram believed God and it was counted to him, credited to him as righteousness. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Can you imagine looking up there and seeing the stars and still having that belief? Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for yours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's basically saying it's all God's grace. It's all the fulfillment of God's promises. It's all found in Jesus. What good news. But there's even better news. There's more. And you can't leave here without getting more. Because what's next is incredible. Thirdly, God would rather 
harm himself than break his promises. Let me say that again. God would rather harm himself than break his promises. What in the world was happening with these cut off animals? What was happening? What was going on? Let me tell you what was happening. The original reading and hearing audience knew what was happening. This was an an ancient Near Eastern uh, ritual. uh, Basically, that was saying this. God was binding himself to his promises and basically saying, may I die if I don't keep my word. Let me tell you what happened. Usually you had uh, folks that would come together instead of crossing their hearts and hoping to die, instead of pinky swearing, they would say, how do I know your promises are real? So what happened, oftentimes these were kings. What they would do is they would take animals and they would cut them in two, literally cut them in two. They would cut a covenant. They would cut the animals in two. And then you ready for this? I look around the room, I see some lawyers here. This is how they had a binding agreement. Then you had both sides of the agreement pass through the carnage, walk through the blood, and basically, as you walk through, you're declaring this. It's incredible. You're saying, if I don't keep my word, if I don't keep my promises, may I become like these dead animals. And so what God was doing was using a very uh, uh, understood ancient Near Eastern way of communicating and treating a treaty of binding himself. But you have something most unusual in this already unusual story. Let me, let's go further. What passes through the, broke, the, 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 the torn apart pieces? It says a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the, uh, the pieces. Do you know what that clearly, clearly represents? Especially to the original reading audience. This is God. These, don't put yourself in their sandals. Who are these people? These are the people wandering in the, the, uh, the wilderness. How are they being led by a pillar of fire and a cloud? Their leader, Moses, was spoke to God through a burning bush. On Sinai, there was the fire and the smoke. They clearly knew, and we clearly need to understand, what was happening in this ceremony. It was God himself basically walking barefoot through the blood and carnage, saying, if I don't keep my promises, I would rather die. He was basically promising everything he could to us. But here's the bizarre thing. There could be even more. You can't miss this. God walks alone through the pieces. Abram's, in, Abram's kind of like asleep. It's like this weird sleep came. He's like dead. Here's what this means. You got to understand. God walked alone through the carnage, which basically says this. God says, I am not only going to make the promises, I will keep the promises for you. I will represent both God and man in this covenant. And if you break covenant or if I break covenant, I will suffer the consequences. See the cross. I mean, right here, the son of man, Jesus. I mean, he got the death sentence here. He's basically saying, Abram, if you fail to keep your promises with me, I won't punish you. I'll punish myself. Jesus, Jesus would be that promised seed who will come. And Jesus, this is, this is this, the cross so clearly that will come and, and live the life that we didn't live. Die the death that we deserve so that we can know that God's promises are yes, they'll never fail. 
That's what that scripture says, that all of God's promises find their yes in Christ Jesus. And you may be bobbing in the ocean of, of a gap between what God has promised you and the reality to what your current life is. But I have news for you. God finishes what he starts. And I have news for you. God is going to get you if you're a child home. And I promise you that he's given you life and life abundantly. He, he has not only made a promise, he's sworn that it would be true. And that cross of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this crazy ancient Near Eastern treaty. That you and you and I can now have life that reigns. You and you and I can know that no matter what comes our way, wherever we find ourselves bobbing in the abyss of this world, that our king is still in control. And his promises are still true. And we have the privilege of walking by faith all the way home. How is it with you? Has God called you out of your current reality and into his blessed promises? It's the only way home. Are you here this morning and is God declaring you righteous by his grace because of what you believe, not because of what you do? And specifically what you believe that Jesus is that son that would come to rescue? And if so, are you living your life knowing that God's promises are true? Are you letting your circumstances define your life or the promises of God? He offers us to walk in freedom, walk in truth, Walk with our heads held high. He is for us, my brothers and sisters. He is with us. His son has been sacrificed for us. They had this story that they would look to and say, God's promises are true. We have the cross. What hope is ours? Let us pray. What a story. God, you, uh, I love the fact that you give such beautiful promises. And I love the fact that you bind yourself to those promises. And God, I confess, I live my life bobbing in the ocean of uncertainty sometimes and bobbing in the reality of what's around me. And I wonder, is it really true? Because God, you, you, just, you told us we have life and life abundantly. You said that we will be forgiven of our sins. You told us that you robe us in righteousness. You told us that there would never be more that we can handle. You said that you're Emmanuel, God with us. You told us the day's coming with no more tears and no more sorrow. You said that, God, you're with us and for us, and yet sometimes it feels like life is so hard and so painful. But we thank you, God, that the reality is that everything that you have promised your family has come true to be yes. We can count on it because you bound yourself to us. You said, I'd rather, I'd rather die than be separated from my family. And Jesus, that's what you've done. You died so that we could live. You absorbed the curses so we could get the blessings. This demands that we live our life differently by faith, in love for what you have done. Thank you. Thank you for a love that's indescribable. And thank you for the promises that are real. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.